1: This is Meta, a podcast about podcasts. And I'm Peter Wells. Each week, I'll speak to podcasters from around the world to find the best new podcast for you to listen to. Today, I'm speaking with Baratunde Thurston. He's an Emmy nominated host who has worked on The Onion, The Daily Show, he's worked in Obama's White House, and he's written the New York Times bestseller, How to Be Black. He's got two podcasts out this year. He's just finished a limited run season of a podcast called We're Having a Moment, which looks at the Black Lives Matter movement and the real change that he can feel in America at the moment. He's got a new podcast out at the moment called How to Citizen, uh, and he's just a fantastic guest to talk to. I could have talked for hours, but unfortunately, we had to cut it off at some point. Of course, I started our conversation by asking, how did he get that amazing name?
0: Thank you for acknowledging the amazingness of my name. It is Baratunde Thurston. I got my name uh where most people do uh from my parents, the uh the repository of names that they hoard. And uh, my parents wanted to accomplish something special. So uh my mother gave me this name Baratunde in part because it's based on a Yoruba name, Babatunde, which means one who is chosen, also means father returns, and she was trying to invoke the spirit of her grandfather. Rafik is an Arabic name, it means companion. Um, and combined Baratunde Rafik was meant to make it difficult for me to board planes and deal with airport <laughs> security. Really forward thinking. She really saw that coming. Thurston is a slave name. I don't know if you're familiar. We had this peculiar institution that set the stage for our entire nation's wealth and history. And uh, Thurston was the name of the, the British bloke who uh, my family belonged to at some point way back when.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah, I've I've read a little bit about that um, (laughs) over the years, over the years. We'll get to your podcast series in a second, but uh, can you give me a quick uh, rundown of some of the other things you've done in your life, uh, some places that you've worked, that kind of thing?
0: Yes, uh, I survived living in Washington, D.C. in the 1980s. It's a huge accomplishment. It was the crime capital of our nation. Uh, I graduated college and high school and have survived up to this day without a criminal record, which is also exceedingly Wonderful. I went to Harvard University, studied philosophy. I've worked for The Onion and The Daily Show. Uh, For a brief period, I worked in the corporate world doing something called consulting, which I still don't understand, but which they paid me for. And I think that's how it works. You don't understand it, and therefore you pay for it. It's it's a great business model if you can get it. And I've written a book. Uh, It's called How to Be Black. It's a comedic memoir of my coming of age, my coming of Blackness in this society that we have here. And uh, I'm a person who makes media, and I try to do so with a lens toward informing people, entertaining them, and moving them to act. I've got a uh, great podcast called How to Citizen with Baratunde, and we are reclaiming this word citizen, reimagining it as a verb instead of a legal status, and inviting people to participate and reclaim our power. Turns out it's all up to us. Yeah, I've completed uh, a short-run podcast series. It's a mini-series podcast called We're Having a Moment. And it's where I uh, take a moment to explain uh, and expand on this defining moment of race and revolution and pandemic here in the United States and also around the world. So it's a six-part series, and it gets at the who and the why and the where might we go after this moment.
1: Looking at America from afar... I mean, we've always been very, very fascinated by America. You are the the, the creator of all culture and and, um, all roads lead to, to America. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, we, look, we've we've supported you in many wars that we've been very uh, suspicious of over the years. But that's you know, right. your,
0: your Prime Minister Howard really backed us in that dubious Iraq war way back when. Yeah, yeah. We'll, I've you always were part of the coalition of the of, of, the, of the bamboozled. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I've always thought of us as. Uh, remember that that old uh, Warner Brothers cartoon where there was the really big dog and then the tiny little yappy dog? Yes, we're the tiny little yappy dog. Um, <laughs> oh. But that's fine. That's fine. We, we, you know, look, I, I say that with love. But yeah, watching America from afar, it, it's it's always it's always felt like a made up kind of place in some ways. And so it's always been just for me, at least, watching the politics, watching everything. You, you can not take it seriously. The last couple of years, I feel like it's suddenly become really really serious, like um, the 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 things I'm seeing in America are really starting to trouble me rather than something I can just kind of laugh off as I watch late night monologues. What, is, what does it feel like on the ground? Is it, do, do you feel that there is, this is actually a moment bigger than the, the, the standard kind of last 20 years or so?
0: In In one important way, I do think this matters, but it isn't because America has changed. It's because more people can see what America has been. And, you know, 20 years ago, 200 years ago, we've faced inadequately our problems, our original sins with respect to the treatment of indigenous people and the enslaved people that we brought here uh, and so many other people who came of their own free will. And so what's happened this year is that the pandemic has forced us to look at something so many of us could ignore. And because there literally was nothing to look at, like they canceled sports. So we couldn't do that and we couldn't brunch. And so we had to stare into the gaping maw of white supremacy Mm -hmm. and it's painful and it's shameful. Uh, But on the other side of that pain and that shame lies something called truth and maybe growth and maybe improvement. So yeah, it's felt different because more people are witnessing the things that have been happening. And I give a lot of credit to COVID-19 for that. I give partial credit to the current administration uh, in terms of the federal office uh, in this nation, the executive office, I should say, that has made no secret of its disdain for various people who were once considered part of America, Uh, immigrants, brown people, certain religions, maybe women in general, kind of depends on the day. It's hard to tell. Um, but what's clear is that there's a a lack of respect for a lot of the people who make up this country.
1: Uh, You know, Australia is not a perfect country by any means.
0: Wait, what? I'm sorry, you're not a perfect... I only do interviews with perfect countries. (laughs) I need to... I'm really well. I, I need mean, to go.
1: this is one of those things I've always wondered about America as well. And again, I say this with love. I've visited the country many, many times, and I'm, I'm always blown I'm, away by just.
0: Here comes the insult. Here comes the insult. <laughs> exactly.
1: I'm, I'm I'm working up to it, but I'm always <laughs> blown away by just the 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 kind of positivity and optimism that that you find in in almost any person that you speak to. And yet, I I I can't help but think like, why, why, like, like I mean, I don't even. I mean, I, I like Australia. I like it when we win uh, sport, you know that's yeah. great. but but I wouldn't defend to my death the 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 belief systems that we have. I think you know, I think our nation was founded on some bad, ideas and and we've improved them over the time. And the, the, there was no, nothing exceptional about our founders or anything like that. Whereas I, I, it feels like sometimes when I'm speaking to an American and they're discussing their founding fathers or whatever else, it's like they're talking about Lord of the Rings. Like there's, there's this level of bizarre mythology built into the American yes. story that I always find
0: really fascinating. And uh, is there a question in, in no. there? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just I'm just wondering, where about does that come country. from? Like, where does that come yeah, from? Is that yeah. built
1: in? Is that taught to you at a very
0: early age? And So I don't know how, how familiar you are with uh, the United States of America. We were founded by Jesus Christ, um, <laughs> strictly for the benefit of voluntary European immigrants of a certain level of wealth and beauty, uh, to deliver freedom, property... And uh, very, very rapidly prepared and so-called food uh, into their gullets. So we're good at that. Now, America is is founded by, in so many ways, people who think they are better than the lands they came from. They left places Mm. to create something better, for the most part. Um, And certainly the people who wrote the story of the country fit that description. And that's if you go back to the 1600s, or the 1920s or the 1980s. The refugees who come here think, I'm better than the place where the Civil War is happening. The entrepreneurs who come here think, I can make more money here Mm. rather than where I can in in a nation with some other types of support systems. So it is ingrained in a lot of American identity that we are special because we are special. It's a rather circular logic, but it's self-fulfilling and we are taught that we are taught that we are number one, never exactly in a specific area that can be measured, but just broadly, we're number one, mm-hmm. we're the greatest. Um, and we like to, to laud our victories historically um, out there. So World War II, classic, you know, we, get, we play the greatest hits and we're like, we defeated the Nazis. So we're going <laughs> to ride that until the wheels fall off. Literally, our infrastructure is crumbling. The wheels are about to fall off. Mm-hmm. but we defeated Hitler and we never mentioned the Russians and the 30 million Russians who died in that effort as well. But, uh, so, so for many of those reasons, uh, I think we have a strongly defined ego yeah. in the United States. Yes.
1: That, that's a beautiful way to put it. But, but yeah,
0: <laughs> let me, let me add one, one more take there. I think theory, I I, I might be coming up with a theory right now. So the, this country doesn't provide some of the things other quote-unquote civilized nations do, like guaranteed healthcare, for example. Mm. And we don't do that in part because we tell ourselves a story that we don't deserve it. We have to earn it. So some of the givens in another society, we have to fight for. We have to earn it. And that proves our worth. So we're constantly proving ourselves to ourselves, you know, among ourselves I don't know if I deserve to be paid a living wage. I feel like I should just work harder. I don't know if I deserve Medicare or healthcare. I feel like I should get more jobs, but then I'm not getting paid enough at the job. Well, it must be me. And in a nation built on individuality, especially of late, in the past 40 years, we carry a lot of pressure alone on ourselves. And what makes that bearable is the idea that we have a shot at getting all those things we won't say we deserve Mm -hmm. because we're special. And so you're special. You can do it. If you don't do it, you're amoral. Maybe you hate Jesus or the flag or you're a commie. I'm not sure. Something's wrong with you. But we in America are special and anybody can make it if they jump through all these hoops. And so I think there is something about the story we've told ourselves that's isolating in certain ways. Um, because we have to do these things alone that 's undeserving, we have to unlock the privileges that mm. that other societies provide uh, as a baseline, and all that 's sellable because we 're still so special you see, and that 's why we put ourselves through this because you can do it a- mm. unless you can't <laughs> yeah. we have a we have a lottery system mm. and there are enough people who do well um and advertise it. That it seems possible for us all.
1: But then there are some people who are born with like seven balls in their, in their lottery wheel. And some people who are born with a million balls.
0: See, now you're bringing up old stuff and you're starting <laughs> to talk about systems and history. And it's just really more complicating uh, of the fact that some people got it. Mm. Some people don't. And <laughs> why can't you just accept that? Peter. That's that's
1: fair. Well, I, I mean, that's what I was originally getting around to is that COVID nineteen really seems to have found the the pressure lines, the the fissures in in any system, and and really brought them, uh, really highlighted yeah. them. So so in Victoria, one of the reasons why we're having a second outbreak, one of the things that has been identified for us is a lack of funding in aged care. Yeah, and then a lack of job security in the people who work in that, in that sector, they can't afford to take a day off. So they're mm-hmm. going to work even though they're sick. So they're spreading the virus. On paper, it is so obvious that people, you know, I work in, well, up until a couple of weeks ago, I worked in IT and I had a very comfortable job that I could do from my desk. And so, of course, I was not in great threat of, of getting sick. But people who are working in low-income roles in in casual workforces where they don't have sick leave, they don't have these kind of things, and and, and that's what I mean is just that COVID nineteen really has brought home the the issues that you've been able to ignore for a very long time, and I think that that's what we're seeing in America.
0: Absolutely, yeah, it's bu- it's beautifully said. COVID nineteen is is a truth serum, and it does not care about the story you've been telling yourself. It doesn't care about your mythology. Uh, It will reveal the shambles, the cracks, the crevices, the canyons that exist in your society. And, you know, I, I think for me, one of the things that's so revealing of the moment is we have capacity in the United States. It's what's so infuriating and embarrassing about where we're at. We have the money, we have the manufacturing capacity, we have the human talent. We have not had the leadership to organize all that to protect us. And that's the one, the primary job of a government is just protect your people. Mm -hmm. I don't need a hug. I need to live. It's pretty basic. And this government couldn't get it together. In fact, went out of its way to get things untogether, to Mm -hmm. sow chaos, to spread disinformation, to intervene in the process of getting N95 masks to healthcare workers. And then on the flip side, you know, you want to see where the priorities are. So, okay, so we couldn't get the masks to the healthcare workers. But when people take to the streets because the folks charged with protecting and serving them are actually shooting them, Mm. those very same people are faced with violence by the object of their protest. And those law enforcement people, are covered in masks. I mean, they're launching chemical weapons that we don't generally use in war. Mm. But they've got them aplenty. And they've got batons. And they've got tanks. Tanks! Mm. Why do you have a tank? And they've got gas. They're prepared for COVID-19 times 19. So you've got all the equipment in the world to suppress the right to peaceable assembly. Mm-hmm. But you have nothing for the frontline health workers or the involuntary frontline workers in the grocery stores and the bus drivers and the sewage workers and the delivery people who are barely keeping us all together. Them and whoever created Zoom. That's all we have. <laughs> That's all we have. And I don't know. There must Somebody must have put some money because Zoom has stayed up this whole time. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to get very suspicious. I'm starting to... <laughs> I've never used technology this much without it breaking, and there are billions of us using it. So what did they know, and when did they know it? That's my question. (laughs)
1: That's a good question. That is a very good question.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. How do you maintain optimism? Yeah. Sometimes I don't. That's my secret. Don't maintain optimism. I think that is an impossible bar to live by at every particular moment. There are times when I am just broken, when I am furious, when I need to take a walk or do some push-ups or watch something very, very stupid on television. And I mean things that lower one's IQ. Mm-hmm. just to check out from the amount of pain uh, that's happening. And then when I do find myself back, which is more often than not, I maintain optimism in a couple of ways. I l- look at the possibilities that we have at this moment. There is a wonderful poet and activist and author named Valerie Cower, Kaur, K-A-U-R. She's in the very first episode of my How to Citizen podcast. And in December 2016, shortly after the election, she faced a large audience and said, What if this darkness that we find ourselves in is not the darkness of the tomb, but the darkness of the womb? And what if our country isn't dying, but it's being reborn? And birth, as anyone who's ever been near it knows, is painful and messy and loud. (laughs) But on the other side is new life. And this is what. It feels like to re grow, to give rebirth to your country. That gives, that fills me. That poem kept me going for the past four years and the past four months in equal measure. And then, lastly, I, I humble myself before history. I, I would be so arrogant to think everything should be good now. I'm here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Says who? Why? Do, why do I get it so much better? than anyone else who ever lived in the history of time. Now, I'm I'm lucky to take part in this thing called life, and I will do what I can to contribute to making it better for myself and those who come after. But I, I, I would not be so greedy and impatient as to think, it all must be right, right now, because I'm here. That's a little too much. So it, it helps to remember the struggles of others and the long arc of history that will far exceed my timeline.
1: And with the election year, yeah, with the election coming up in November, what, what do you currently feel is happening in terms of that, that election? It, it, are we looking at four more years? Basically, that's all I want to know. Oh, you're
0: asking for a prediction. No, yeah. I will not do that. But I will share my thoughts and what I think is on the line and what I hope will happen. Uh, predictions, who knows? Mm, yeah. I... I What I see happening right now is um, I'm somewhat of a partisan. I'm a registered Democrat. I'm a self-identified liberal progressive person. But uh, trying to set that aside, I think we have a challenge to the legitimacy of our democracy going on here right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's on the ballot. So this isn't really like a classic election. This isn't like, what are Joe Biden's tax policies and what are Donald Trump's tax policies? And let me just build a spreadsheet and see mm, mm. where I make more money. This this is not that election. This is not, let's look at their records of policy. No. There is in office right now, someone who is only in office for himself. And there is enabling him an entire political party, mm. one half of our political establishment that says, We are good with everything this person has done. Now, we would tell our children the opposite in any way in life, exams, yard play, housework. We would not tolerate this behavior from one of our own, but we're going to claim him and we're going to impose him on you. Mm. So, no, this is just a right-wrong election, as Joe Biden put it in the Democratic National Convention recently. This is light versus dark. This This is Jedi stuff. And and that's what I see as the choice that we have. Do we want to live in a democracy or not? And if we do, then we've got to flex the meaning of that word, people, power, Greek origins of democracy, and remind ourselves that we're in charge here. Because if we don't, then we will lose even more power and it will be a very unrecognizable country. And the history has been harsh, but I do fear what further unchecked access to power will look like in the hands of this particular human being who only knows his own interests so so we'll vote him out or we won't or we will and he'll fight and maybe he'll send his goons back into the streets and then we'll have to decide are we gonna occupy this like there's a thousand scenarios what i want is uh (laughs) here's here the dreams i have uh Besides of like eating in a restaurant again, which is a great dream. Sometimes mm-hmm. I have dreams where I'm eating at a restaurant and I'm at the restaurant and then I order from another restaurant while I'm at the restaurant just to show <laughs> that I can like, That's my primary dream.
1: Mm-hmm. But my
0: secondary dream is that we exceed the margin of doubt so overwhelmingly in the results. So embarrassingly. Yeah. That there is no question. That we tried it, we did the crazy thing, we got a little, got a little nuts, America got, got a little nuts, had a little too much to drink, got a little high on the authoritarianism, and we're coming back, um, and we're going we're gonna to not do that anymore, because we realize that it has led to the deaths of over 170,000 of our fellow members of society, and that is too high a price to pay.
1: Looking again as 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 someone who watches America as a TV show on my on my screens each night, what what I'm hoping exactly is that is that the the defeat is so amazing that first of all he can't uh, claim any wrongdoing by the post office or whatever yeah. organization he's trying to defund, but secondly that it becomes such a massive wake up call, like you said, to the enablers. Because it's not just Trump, is it? It's it's not just... he. It's, he, he, is, he is one the... person
0: can't do all this. Mm, yeah, yeah. Our system is literally set up so one person can't do all this. There was a person doing all this. Mm. King George, I think his name was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he raised the price of tea and we kicked out the whole British... Like, we set up a whole system mm. of divided government of brilliance you know, to our earlier comments about our arrogance, somewhat partially well-learned, that one person should not have this much power. Mm. And the brokenness of our current system is like, oh, we, the founders didn't count on the Republican Party behaving in this way.
1: Mm.
0: And they, they didn't count on the Senate, a co-equal part of the government, to accede to authoritarianism so easily. No protest whatsoever. So that's the the problem isn't the president. The problem are the people who don't see the president as a problem, who have the power, delegated by us, to check him.
1: Mm. And to be fair, the the founders probably never thought of Fox News
0: either, which,
1: as an Australian, I've got to say. Or (laughs) TikTok.
0: Or, you know, USB microphones. I mean, there's a lot. Mm. For all their alleged genius, they didn't foresee most of this. Mm. So, Mm. just... Just saying. Well, look,
1: you know, we we are all rooting for you, um, over here. Uh, we 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 really are hoping because you know, you, like you, like I said, you are our big brother. You know, we look up to you. We hope that you get through this one because it's been a bit of a rough one. Um, well, listen,
0: I, I have something to say, man. Like, you know, in the in the podcast, we're having a moment that's a lot about race, and one of the things I say at the end of that is what I what I want to see is not that the newly awakened people to the racial strife in our country and in the world get involved because they want to help the people of color. They want to help the indigenous people. Like you do it cuz you want to be a part of a world where you benefit too, where like you see the interests as aligned. And I think as as a non-American as an Aussie like I appreciate your good wishes. It's not just for me. Like Mm-mm. our crazy affects you. You know, totally. you're you're physically far closer to Kim Jong Un than we are. So <laughs> Like what we do matters. You're closer to China than Mm -hmm. we are physically. And we're in this intertwined global economy and the global pandemic is running amok. So if we don't get this under control, that hurts your economy too. Absolutely. Um, So do whatever you legally can to help us out, which includes (laughs) moral support um, and and talking to people like me, I guess. Thank you for talking to me.
1: No, thank you. Thank you. And uh, I just realized we're 25 minutes in and we haven't actually talked about the podcast yet. So Yeah. Yeah. Can you please uh, give me a quick rundown on the podcast, uh, How to Citizen and the overarching
0: themes? Yeah, the, the overarching message of How to Citizen is that we need to reclaim this word citizen and make it a verb. That citizenship means participation. It means living in relationship with others and realizing how interconnected we are. It means understanding the power we have to vote and do so much more than that to affect outcomes. And it means doing this on behalf of the many and not the few. Otherwise, you're a sociopath. So this show is showing us how to practice citizenship. So I sit down with people doing it, not theoreticians, folks on the ground working in their communities to make change. And then we give listeners and viewers and the whole audience things they can do. Um, I've made this show in many ways for myself because I've been so frustrated at consuming so much horribleness and not being offered anything to do about it. So there are many things we can do. This show will focus on that. There are many people doing it. This show will highlight them. And at the end of each episode, I guarantee you will feel better, not worse.
1: Do you feel that kind of grassroots change happening around you? I mean, we see some of it on the news, but it's it's hard to tell exactly what it's like over there. Does it feel different? I guess is what
0: I'm trying to say. I do feel it. And, uh, you know, we're having conversations about how we use police forces and money here. And they're going well past conversations. People are deep in the budgets of our cities, where we realize the number one budget item in so many U.S. cities is to the law enforcement department, Mm. to police. So mathematically, we live in a police state. That's just, that's not me being judgy. That's just literally looking at the numbers. Mm. And that is not sitting right with people who think, oh, maybe there's other ways we can solve some of these problems. Not all. Some will still require police, but not helping old ladies across the street, not being a crossing guard, not maybe noise complaints. There's homelessness, a lot of other issues. So that level of engagement and savvy in the process has gone way past the hashtag. Um, has gone past the significance of street protest in a pandemic, which is a huge commitment of citizen action that I think, you know, gets underappreciated at times. So I'm seeing it. And then the last piece I I would say is I'm seeing people take to not the streets, but to themselves. I see a lot of people engaging with themselves and asking, who do I want to be? Who am I? Reading different things interrogating themselves a little bit, looking at their own communities and households and personal choices. And that's where the change has to start. It can be very easy to point fingers far off, whether that's Washington, D.C., or some company that upset you, or some celebrity who said something, or the thing you saw on Twitter. But what's happening on your block? What's happening in your church? What's happening in your house? That's the real work, at least the first layer of it. And I'm feeling just from amongst my friends, like who were buying all these sourdough books and now they're buying how to be an anti-racist. Like that's a shift. <laughs> <laughs> now, how to make anti-racist sourdough. I still don't know why someone hasn't written that book because it's the best of both worlds.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Yes, yes. that That is a beautiful way to sum it all up. Thank you so much for your time. Um, this has been a great chat. And I, I can't say enough that I I, I really do love America. I, I I get swept up in its its uh, exceptionalism every time I'm there because yeah it, it it is a wonderful place and yeah I really do hope that uh, you get through this moment
0: this and and all the ones that will come getting through is part of living so thank you for having me good luck with everything y'all are dealing with too I know things are not a hundred percent everywhere in the world and you have your challenges with your first inhabitants you have challenges Absolutely. with fires and yeah. climate mm-hmm. um. And and obviously with, with COVID-19. So good luck to you and, and all the people of Australia. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much.
1: My thanks again to Day Thurston. And next week we have former Prime Minister Julia Gillard, which is just a strange thing for me to say out loud. Here is a quick snippet of the conversation I had with her. I like a number of podcasts that are focused on women. I appeared on as a guest on the podcast Shameless, but I very much like that podcast too. Uh, so all sorts. I actually heard you on The Guilty Feminist and you are incredibly funny. Have you thought about a career in stand-up? Because you were, you were <laughs> on fire on that episode. <laughs> Uh, Thank you for that. But no, a career in stand-up does not beckon. Thank you for the suggestion, but I won't be taking it up. Thanks again for listening. And if you dig it, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, or even better, tell a friend. Uh, Podcast art by Lauren Watson, post-production by James Smith, and a big thanks to the ACAST team in Sydney for convincing me to make this series. My name is Peter Wells. Stay safe, wear a mask, and I'll speak to you next week.
0: Planning for your next trip?
1: I, I, I feel I've taken far too much of your time. Um, uh, try to get onto um, compulsory voting. That's really good.
0: Take that, take yeah. that from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> also, we'll import your gun policies while we're at it, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, we've got an, some issues, but
1: we've, we've not nailed those two things.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I think America's a nation of guns with a few people at this mm-hmm, point mm-hmm. to just, you know, uh, sort of restock the ammunition, Mm. Uh, and, and keep them loaded. That's that's part of the weirdness of this country. Yeah, it's uh, weird wanna... that
1: all those all those people who said that they held onto their guns uh, in case tyranny came. Where where are they?
0: So so it turns out now. This is important. Maybe this is like a bonus round on your show. I don't remember how it's structured, but if you want to do like a blooper reel or extras, we had protests before the Black Lives Matter protests. Mm. Um, I remember.
1: Yeah. The... Right,
0: and, and that was a lot of people with military gear and the,
1: the Karens that wanted uh, yogurt.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They, they wanted yogurt. They wanted um, their hair styled mm. and, and they wanted to go to the gym and they flexed all the guns that they could muster to prove that they would not succumb to the tyranny of split ends. And I get it. I get as a man who needs a haircut right now and desperately. So I appreciate that this is an audio interview. And um, and I guess the people with the guns, they just got exhausted by the hair salon protest. But they'll be out any moment now. To stand against the tyranny i i just have to
1: believe i'm sure they will <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're just waiting until it gets really bad Mm-mm. like until federal agents kidnap people in unmarked vehicles for example you know the stuff of their conspiratorial nightmares <laughs> if that starts to happen mm. then i'm sure they'll show up to defend their fellow americans <laughs> it's a
1: fascinating world i love I, I love this conversation thank you so much
0: thank you peter
1: all right see ya Bye. yeah